This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide issue that affects you. I'm Shana Roth, and we have a very full week this week. And here to help break it all down is Lauren Gibbons, my old colleague from MLive and now of Bridge, Michigan. Lauren, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Let's start with what's going on with the income tax law. There's a 2015 law that would automatically lower the state's income tax rate, possibly as early as this year. And, well, Democrats are maybe looking to get rid of it. Republicans are telling them not to get rid of it. Uh, Lauren, what is going on here? And have Democrats even said that they want to get rid of this law? In the past, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer's administration has warned uh, lawmakers about uh, the potential impacts of a automatic trigger on an income tax rollback. And when this was initially passed, it was opposed by Democrats. But uh, the current Democratic majority in the legislature hasn't said exactly what they plan on doing. Um, Senate Appropriations Chair Sarah Anthony uh, said last week she's waiting for additional data on the impact of the law. And uh, the important thing to note, too, is that we don't exactly know if it's going to happen. We won't know until uh, the close of books on the current fiscal year, because the trigger is essentially if the state's revenue exceeds the rate of inflation for a given year. And because Michigan has so much revenue coming in over the last few years, so there's a lot of balls in the air right now. We don't exactly know when that income tax cut trigger will go into effect, but uh, a lot of estimates are showing that it could go into effect this year. So Republicans are saying, hey, if it does, let it happen because Michiganders uh, deserve this. So that's their argument. They're saying, you know, let the trigger happen, give people a tax cut. And Democrats are kind of saying, hang on, we should probably wait and see how this would impact Michigan. What are the potential impacts of either keeping or not keeping the law? In this case, it's interesting because the rapid increase in revenue that Michigan has been seeing over the last couple of years is not permanent, right? This is a result of some very unique circumstances related to the pandemic and how the state and federal government responded to it. So the concern that some fiscal experts have is a income tax rollback. Income tax is one of the main revenue sources that the state has. There's several taxes that are collected, but income tax is a big one. Um, so if there's a significant rollback in the income tax, that actually could have a pretty big long-term impact on state finances. So if this money dries up from the surplus and there's nothing replacing it, then then we could be in a little bit of trouble if there's not enough money to kind of sustain current government practices. So that said, it would be a pretty significant individual benefit for people if if the income tax went from 4.25% to about 4.05% based on current expectations. So Republicans are arguing, let people have that, let them pay less for taxes. So there's there's a lot of a lot of questions uh, out there still about, you know, the the right path to go forward here. There's an R word floating around this whole conversation, recession. You wrote in a piece for Bridge that economists predict that Michigan could be headed towards a mild recession. How concerning is this and how would this law either help or hurt depending on if it's there? 
You know, I think it's hard to say at this point, you know, whether uh, an income tax trigger, like how that would impact uh, that that's looking a little bit further ahead. But the economists uh, reported during the consensus revenue estimating conference that happens twice a year uh, that that Michigan could be headed toward a mild recession as national trends predict as well. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, coming off of the pandemic. There was a lot of uh, additional stimulus to try and fend off some of the worst of it. Um, but, you know, that can't go on forever. So it's kind of economists are kind of predicting at this point that we will be seeing a little bit of a drop off um, in, in our economic prospects. But, you know, at this point, uh, it, it remains to be seen how concerning that is uh, for Michigan's uh, bounce back from the pandemic. Uh, we we kind of just have to wait and see on that. But the income tax rollback would be a pretty major shift in state revenue. Um, so so that would definitely have an impact uh, moving forward if, if it does indeed happen. Let's shift gears here. The abortion issue is far from settled, to say the least. The Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade, which nationally allowed for a right to an abortion. Michigan voters then overwhelmingly passed an initiative in November, putting the right to an abortion in the state constitution. And now it sounds like a plethora of state laws are going to be repealed now that Democrats are in charge of the legislature and the governor's office. Lauren, what's the latest on this? So this is uh, this has been an ongoing conversation uh, with, among Democrats. Now that Proposal Three has been passed, uh, there is a state constitutional right to an abortion. The unenforced law on the books that uh, banned abortion and made it a felony uh, is no longer enforceable under the state constitution. But Democrats want to pull all of those references from state law, um, any references that criminalize abortion. That was one of the first bills introduced. There were a few more bills this week that would remove references to uh, criminalizing abortion from various state codes. Um, so that's the first item on the docket. Now, it'll be interesting to see whether Democrats decide or announce that they, if they want to change any of the existing regulations around abortion that were passed over the years by Republican majorities in the legislature. Um, some of those include, you know, uh, parameters around parental consent, uh, public health standards for abortion practitioners. Uh, there, there's several, uh, the waiting period is another example uh, between when a person uh, gets a consultation for abortion, when they get the actual procedure. So there's several laws on the books that Democrats haven't necessarily been happy with. Um, a lot of experts have said Proposal 3 doesn't necessarily change those laws. It made the 1931 ban unconstitutional, but it, it didn't really have too many impacts on the existing regulations of Michigan law. So it'll be really interesting to watch whether Democrats, after they you know, take out some of these references to criminalizing abortion, if they decide to go the route of amending some of the existing state regulations. While they're working on getting rid of old bills, is there any talk of new legislation aimed at abortion? Um, they are currently undergoing a review of existing state laws, what we've been told by Democratic leadership in the House and Senate. Um, so they haven't they haven't uh, really announced whether they plan on going that route or if they plan on introducing additional laws. Uh, at this point, they say their main focus is to uh, make sure Proposal 3 is implemented and state law 
matches what the voters, uh, what the majority of voters passed in proposal three. Um, so, so I would imagine that would come first, but I wouldn't be wholly surprised if additional abortion related legislation gets brought up. What are the anti-abortion advocates doing about all of this, including Republicans? Do they have a plan of action here? Are they going to be introducing their own legislation or are they just sort of sort of see the writing on the walls with Democrats having so much power? You know, at this point, um, especially with Proposal 3, that was a constitutional amendment. So unless another constitutional amendment is brought forward, it'd be pretty hard to change the Constitution. Uh, it's a pretty heavy lift. Um, so so at this point, it sounds like a lot of uh, anti-abortion advocates are kind of waiting and seeing uh, what uh, Democrats in the legislature ultimately do or introduce. Um, I, I would imagine that if there are any major changes to, um, to how abortion regulations in Michigan operate, uh, there will be some pretty heavy pushback. Uh, from anti-abortion lawmakers and uh, interest groups. And uh, they're also kind of waiting to see uh, what happens in the courts, uh, for example, if any challenges to existing abortion regulations come up. That would be something that they're they're looking out for. But yeah, at this point, I think I think the main reaction is uh, is a wait and see um, what what the new Democratic majority ultimately does. Let's also talk about another piece you had this week. It was a very busy week for you, Lauren. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson wants tougher penalties for harassing election workers. We've talked about this issue of people being aggressive towards election workers on Mishmash in the past. And, you know, that this is something that has really ramped up over the last few election cycles. What is Benson's plan? Is And is this something that she can really affect change for? Yeah, so essentially it sounds like one of her main priorities is getting laws on the books uh, to deter people um, from from either harassing online or in person or, you know, initiating threats against election workers. Or she also uh, made pretty clear during that press conference, she also wants to include people who are pressuring election clerks to break election law. Um, to be included as part of that. Now, obviously, this is predicated by a lot of what we saw um, in the past couple of elections here, um, primarily in 2020, but also a little bit in 2022, um, you know, people who were challenging uh, the election results as a result of former President Donald Trump's loss. Um, and so, so she's pretty concerned about the fact that election workers and election officials like local clerks, you know, seeing all of the things that have happened over the last few years and the pressure that these election workers were under, you know, there, there may be a little bit of trouble recruiting people to help with elections or, you know, encouraging existing election officials to stay uh, when their terms come up in 2024. So that's that's weighing heavily on her mind. Um, that said, it will be interesting to see the exact language of the bill, um, you know, how such a thing would be enforced, especially if a lot of these uh, if a lot of these threats are coming through online mechanisms, you know, how how would they go about, you know, tracking and ensuring that people who are doing this are stopped that that kind of remains to be seen. So, it sounds like it's a pretty big priority for her office, and she had a lot of Democratic lawmakers uh, supporting her effort. 
um, whether it is an effective deterrent, I guess we'd have to see the language of the bill. It seems like this should be something that both Republicans and Democrats can agree on, that we don't want election workers being harassed. What has been the uh, Republican response to this call for, for new legislation? You know, I haven't seen much pushback at this point. Like I said, you know, the this is this was kind of a statement of priorities. So um, I, I think we'll hear a little bit more once the language of the bills, bill packages are introduced and uh, brought forward to committee hearings. Um, that said, I think uh, they're walking a tight line um, in this case because, you know, certainly it, a lot of the a lot of the people um, and instances that uh, Secretary Benson's administration is thinking of as they help lawmakers craft this legislation did come from supporters of former President Donald Trump. Typically, Republicans uh, were the ones doing this. So, you know, Republican lawmakers will probably have to walk a pretty tight line here, especially if any of the language in the legislation is specifically uh, is specifically directed at actions that were taken by Trump supporters uh, during 2020 or 2022 elections. Before we let you go, again, you had so much going on this week. And one of them was an, a piece about electric cars and what's going on with electric cars in Michigan. Real quick, what is the latest there? Yeah, so a lot of infrastructure industry officials are concerned about the prospect of uh, electric vehicles uh, taking more uh, taking more of a market share of vehicles because uh, they do pay registration fees, but they are charged by electricity. They're not getting gas. So the gas tax is one of the main ways that Michigan uh, funds its road repairs. And the infrastructure industry is concerned that if uh, electric vehicles continue to take up more and more of the market, less people are paying the gas tax. And they're very concerned that that could impact how Michigan roads are funded or whether they are. Uh, so so that's a that's a factor that uh, is coming up uh, both with Governor Gretchen Whitmer as she uh, looks to, you know, fulfill her fix the damn roads mantra that she's been saying throughout her tenure as governor. But, you know, there's also going to be a lot of pressure on lawmakers, you know, the state is still sitting on a pretty substantial surplus. Um, you know, the, a lot of people are looking, you know, can can we improve the state of our infrastructure? But this is a more long term look, um, you know, because there are a lot of interests, you know, from Michigan automakers and environmentalist groups. That there's, there's a push for a shift towards electric vehicles um, overall. But uh, yeah, I think there will be a that there will be kind of a point of reckoning that uh, folks will have to face. You know how how do we fund Michigan infrastructure um, if if the nature of uh, the vehicles driving and using our infrastructure changes? Lauren Gibbons is a reporter for Bridge Michigan. Lauren, it's always such a pleasure to have you here on Mishmash. Hey, yeah, thanks so much for having me. 
Thanks again to our guest, Lauren Gibbons from Bridge, Michigan. Mishmash is produced by WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This episode was produced by myself, Shana Roth, and the always fantastic Hearns Laguerre Jr. Our news director is Jerome Vaughn, and our podcast manager is David Lyons. Our digital team is Dave Kim and Sophia Joswiak. And our podcast interns are Ashley Harris, Patrick Burness, and Jack Philbrand. As always, if you listen to this podcast and you want to support it, you can do so by leaving us a review. Or if you really, really like this podcast, and we really, really hope you do, you can support WDET. Just go to WDET.org slash give. Again, as always, without your support, this show and the many other wonderful things that WDET does would not be possible. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.